hey, then make a good choir song. Like sometime in this summer, you know, y'all already know the song, you know, so we could, they don't, well, some of them sure would, but we get up and sing that, and uh, there's a, there's a nice seat right here. <laughs> Cornelia, this is the splash zone. That's where, yeah, slobbering and spitting. I, that's the one thing I haven't learned to do good yet. I'm trying to be a slobbering. <laughs> I'm trying to learn to be a slobbering, spitting preacher. <laughs> Let me try that. All right. It's like the old preacher said, did give you a little holy water anyway. All right. All right. <laughs> okay. Some of the people that come pretty faithfully to church struggled this weekend. All right, so uh, in, in particular, Sonia, who goes through a lot of family turmoil, and then Mary, Mary Bowl had uh, a lot of light hits. She was dizzy. She, didn't, she was afraid to get in the car, you know, and I, I, she should call somebody to come get her. I don't think she lives 10 minutes up the road, but maybe in the future. And then, who am I? I met Susie and family, right? Susie and family, sick. Yeah, and as well as others, and I know Taylor's going through some things. So uh, those who came from the start are struggling, and that's kind of the way it works, you know. And some, sometimes when the, when the uh, new people start filtering in, sometimes the, the ones that have been there a while kind of just don't get pushed to the side. Just you're trying to, we're trying to win friends and influence people, and uh, we forget about people such as that but I would imagine the type of folks y'all are you you noticed that they were gone and you wondered and uh, that means that you do care you know so I did hear and by the way turn to judges so while we're, while we're getting ready I, I do I heard some more good things about y'all you again this morning and the the order the organization, the servitude, just the wonderful uh, unity and order and the way things are done and work that they don't see in many churches, you know. And I, I don't I honestly say, I don't take any credit for any of that. That's all of you. And I appreciate it. That's all of you. The Lord knows. And people are seeing it. So don't ever forget that, all right? Don't ever forget it. All right. And people are watching. Sometimes they're not there for setup, but they're there watching breakdown. They're watching. And they, they know. They know. that you, you, you are special. So let's look here. Judges chapter 8, verse 1. And the men of Ephraim said unto him. I'm sorry. I didn't tell you Judges 8 earlier. Let's read verses 1 through 3 responsibly. And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou called us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. He said unto them, What have I now done in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Medium, Oreb and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? 
Then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. So we're looking at these men of Ephraim uh, today versus these men of, actually it's the uh, Manasseh. And considering this thing with, you know, we're going to consider one another tonight and consider the church. You know, these are type of things that we, we can do on a Sunday night just to keep us in focus. <clears throat> and uh, we'll try to do that tonight. Okay, let's pray. Father, I ask that you'd help me to say what needs to be said and then we'll hear properly what needs to be heard. And uh, I know there's no need really for this uh, once again, but could be in the future because we're all men and prone to things. And we ask that you'd help us to not fall prey to the Ephraim situation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you may be seated. If you know the story of Ephraim and Manasseh, two brothers. There you go. Two brothers. There's some brothers in here. And... You know, it's always firstborn versus second. You know, it's and, and uh, sisters too, by the way. Yeah, uh, there's always this firstborn thing. That, technically, Manasseh was the firstborn brother. Ephraim was secondborn. And so according to the doctrine of election, where God chooses seconds above first, because the first was always the natural thing to do, and the com it's the normal thing to do, and the naturally wise thing to do, God always almost always chooses the unnatural to, and the, the one that nobody else would choose to get a job done, such as the case with Gideon. You know, Gideon came from the tribe of Manasseh, and he, the smallest tribe, by the way, in Israel was Manasseh. They were the smallest. They were cut in half. Half of them stayed across Jordan when they came into the Promised Land to be with the Reubenites and the Gadites. That's where you get the term Gadarenes. When Jesus went over to see the maniac of Gadara, he came from the tribe of Gad. They half stayed over there, half went into the promised land. So it was a very small split tribe. Now what's interesting about them is Manasseh was the firstborn brother, and, he, and Joseph, good Joseph, had these two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And I believe Manasseh means the Lord hath caused me to forget my, uh, my bondage. That he, his, all the troubles he went through as a young man, God gave him a son. And he said, God made me forget all the troubles because of this son. Changed everything. And then he had another son named Ephraim. And he said, he has made me fruitful uh, in an amazing land. And so the younger son, well, if you know the story in Genesis 48, when Jacob was a very elderly man getting ready to go to heaven, he called Joseph and said, I want to bless your sons. And Joseph brought his sons before him. He sat them before him, and Jacob couldn't see real well. I guess with age that happens. And so he stuck his hand out, hands out to place them on the sons to bless them. What did he do? He did a cross draw. He put his right hand on the younger son, and he put his left hand on the younger son, or the older son, to bless them. And Joseph tried to rebuke him and say, "Dad, don't do this. He's the firstborn." He said, "I know this, but this is God's plan according to election. Ephraim will be a greater tribe than Manasseh. He will be both will be blessed because they're coming out of Jacob, but 
one will be much bigger and greater than the other. And so Ephraim became one of the great standard tribes of the nation of Israel. They became one of the top four, in fact, that they when they camped on the sides of the around the tabernacle, Ephraim was the point tribe on the west side, due west, Ephraim. And they are epitomized by the bull, the bullock, which is the servant, which is found in the book of Mark. And so they had a they had a great standing. Not only Ephraim himself as the younger brother, but they had a, a great standing within the tribe of Israel as one of the great tribes. In fact, when God would speak to Israel at times, He would call them Ephraim. The whole nation was characterized under this, and that's all found in the book of Hosea. If you've ever read the book of Hosea, uh, it's full of truth about, the, about this tribe of Ephraim which took over and became the epitome of the whole nation. So, um, God's natural choice is not the natural choice of men. We know that. So in our story, Gideon was from Manasseh. Okay, the smallest tribe, the lesser of the tribes. He was the youngest son. I believe he was probably the younger of two. I can't prove it, but I think he, was, he had an older brother. And when he... He, he slew the second bullock. It's, it's a long story. There's something about the, 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 uh, that that we can discuss someday. I'm trying to figure it out about the second son. The Bible talks about it in Ecclesiastes, about the second son. But so Gideon, chosen by God out of nowhere to go against the Midianites and defeat this people that were coming in like grasshoppers over the land, just dominating Israel. And God went to pick a deliverer. He went to the most unlikely place. The youngest son of the smallest tribe. And he's why? So all power belongs to him. Gideon even knew it. He, God called him a mighty man of valor. He said, I'm nothing. I'm, the, I'm a nobody. God said, you're perfect for the job. And so God called him to lead Israel. We know the story. There were too many people that followed him. He whittled it down. He said, I can't get glory with these giant armies. Went down to 300 men. He said, you're going to defeat many thousands. I think I figured it out one time. The odds were like one against 300. Massive amount of, I mean, it's it, impossible odds. And they won with 300 men. Well, you know how it is if you've ever been in a battle. I know all of us have. That there's a lot of cleanup duty. And when the, when the enemy runs, you follow. You pursue them all the way to the end. And that's what Gideon is doing. He's pursuing the remnants. Two of the, uh, the uh, kings had already been killed one of, or taken alive. One of them's name was Oreb. Not Oreo. Yeah, yeah, y'all aren't thinking Oreb. I haven't had those in a while. Oreo, no. Oreb and Zeb. These are some pretty bad guys. All right. Oreb and Zeb were taken by the Ephraimites. And so he's still going after them. So where our story picks up, Ephraim comes to him. The whole tribe, the, the, the leaders of the tribe says, now wait a minute. You went to fight the Midianites. You didn't even call us. Why didn't you call us and tell us you were doing this? We're upset. And it said they chided with him sharply. I mean, they were mad. They were very upset. You didn't pick us to go with you, and we want to know why. They were very upset with him. To the point that they wanted to fight their own brethren. 
He said, no, wait a minute. Just look at what's happened here. So he uses the analogy, your gleanings, which is the leftovers, is greater than our vintage, which is our first, our greatest fruits. You got the kings. The glory's on you. I didn't, I didn't get the kings. You did. Now later on, he goes and gets the other two. There were four kings of Midian. He goes after them. And it says, their anger was abated toward him. He had to pacify them. Basically, he had to flatter them to get them off his back. So we see something going on here with the Midianites. All right, I mean, excuse me, the Ephraimites. Now turn over to chapter 12. So here we have another story. Now if you know the story, the judges, they would come for a select time to judge Israel, to, usually to deliver Israel, but they would lead. Under the law of God, they would lead. And so there's a man named Jephthah. He's going to be the next judge over Israel. Guess what? God went to another man from Manasseh. He didn't pick an, he didn't pick an Ephraimite. Hey, in their defense, Joshua was out of the tribe of Ephraim. But he goes back to, he goes back to Manasseh and he picks a man. Interesting story. Jephthah was a man who it was a great man in, Manasseh, in the tribe of Manasseh. He had many sons. But he had one son out of marriage. Son of a harlot. His name's Jephthah. And the other brother said, you're not a part of our family. You're out of here. And they ran him off. And he went to Gilead, which is a cross river over uh, to the east, and he hid. And he says all he could pick up to follow him was vain men, but they knew Jephthah was a fighter. So when the time came for we need a deliverer now against the Ammonites, or a whole other country's coming at them. New enemy. Who are we going to pick? They go after the son of the harlot, Jephthah, the outcast that nobody wanted. God says, go after him. So they go get him. Now, what is this? And so he becomes the next deliverer for Israel. Not the prince of Ephraim. Not the richest man in Ephraim. The outcast of Manasseh gets picked. And... Uh, it's interesting how, that, how God works. You know what that tells me? God can use anybody. And we, sometimes we think, eh, God, I'm not that much. I don't have much to offer. Well, the Lord can... If, you, if, you, if God comes your way, you can find out I've got plenty to offer. I was one of those. I, I really didn't think I had anything to give to God other than myself. I mean, I give you myself, Lord. That's about all I got. Not much to me, by the way. And... He opened up and said, you want to see how much you can do? I'm still finding that out after 41 years of being saved. Is am I right on that? I think it's 41. Amazing. And so uh, the story goes. Let's just look at this. It's Jephthah's turn. And Jephthah is fighting the Ammonites. God gives him a complete victory over the Ammonites. I mean, he, he defeats them. Guess what happens? Look at chapter 12, verse 1. And the men of Ephraim, they come to rejoice with him and say, man, we're with you. That was a great victory. No. What do they say? They gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon and didst not call us to go with thee? Same thing. How come you didn't call me? You ever had that? Why did y'all go do that and didn't even call me? But they've stepped it up a notch. Because look what they say in the next line. 
We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. Boy, that's brotherly love. <laughs> we'll burn your house down with you in it. That's how hot they were. You talk about hotheads. I mean, they're upset. Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at a great strife with the children of Ammon. And when I called you, you delivered not, me not out of their hand. Basically, he's saying, you forgot. I did call. I made the call. You didn't come. You see that? He said, I gave you a chance. You didn't come. And when I saw that you delivered me not, the great tribe of Ephraim, I put my life in my hands and passed over against the children of Ammon. And the Lord delivered them into my hand. Wherefore then are you come up against me this day to fight against me? This is ridiculous. It's a similar story. What are we seeing here? Jealousy is setting in because the, the Manassehites are being used of God and they don't like it at all. They're not rejoicing that, hey, we're going to have freedom from Ammonites, wicked, wicked people. They're looking at it, why didn't God call me to do it? Why didn't God give me the chance instead of them? Of all things, Jephthah, the guy that we don't even really want. How sad is this? So rather than being glad for the freedom that they're obtaining because of the one man did a great job, they go out to fight Jephthah and want to burn his house down. This is terrible. You know, you talk about hotheads, because look in verse 4. Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead. He knew we got a fight on our hands with our own brothers. Fought with Ephraim, and the men of Gilead smote Ephraim, because they said, Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. Talking about the ones across the river that didn't come in, the other half of the tribe. And the Gileadites took the passage of Jordan before the Ephraimites, and it was so that when those Ephraimites which were escaped, it was a, it was a decisive victory over their own people, over the Ephraimites. When they were escaped, they'd say, let me go over Jordan. You know, you had to get across some way, like on a ferry or you get me across this river because a lot of times Jordan was not passable. They said unto them, art thou an Ephraimite? They said, Nay. If he did say nay, then said they unto him, Say, Shibboleth. Say it. And he said, Sibboleth. Uh-oh. Can't say it right. For he could not frame to pronounce it right. They knew he was lying. An Ephraimite could not say Shibboleth. They said, Sibboleth. No, I got that backwards, don't I? <laughs> it's a tongue twister. They said, say Shibboleth. They couldn't do it. They mispronounced it. You're, you're caught. Now, this is terrible. Then they took him and slew him at the passage of Jordan, and there fell at that time of the Ephraimites, how many? 40 and 2,000 people. They killed 42,000 of their own cousins, which distant cousins of a few, of a few hundred years of, of uh, history. My, and, Je and, Eth and Jephthah judged Israel six years. This is a terrible, terrible thing, but what we're seeing is a pattern of behavior. Okay, turn to Joshua, chapter 17. Yeah, we're good. Joshua 17. 
So when they're passing out the promised land and they're getting lots, each tribe received a lot according to their number of their people. And so they were given out 12 lots because there were 13 tribes because Joseph got two. He got Ephraim and Manasseh. So, but the Levitical people, the Levites, didn't get land. They didn't get an inheritance. So there were 12 tribes getting land, and each one got a portion. So look what happens here. In Joshua 17, verse 14, the children of Joseph, now this is Ephraim, spake unto Joshua, saying, Why hast thou given me but one lot and one portion to inherit, seeing I am a great people? For as much as the Lord hath blessed me hitherto, they're saying, we deserve more than one lot. We deserve it. We're Ephraimites. God blessed us back there with our old forefathers, all the way back to our father Ephraim, sitting on Jacob's lap. God pronounced it. We ought to get double portion. Well, Joshua said, answered them, If y'all be a great people, then get thee up to the wood country, and cut down for thyself there in the land of the Perizzites, for of the giant, or and of the giants, if the mountain of Ephraim be too narrow for thee. And the children of Joseph said, The hill is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both they here of Bethshean and her towns, and they here of the valley of Jezreel. Joshua spake unto the house of Joseph, even to Ephraim. And I know it says Manasseh here. It's those two, it's the it's Ephraim and the half tribe of Manasseh, saying, Thou art a great people and has great power. Thou shalt not have one lot only, but the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood. Thou shalt cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine, for thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, though they be strong. Ephraim. They expected more land. They expected better land. Not they told him? Too many woods. There's too many trees. Too many trees. I want more land. And, and it actually became Mount Ephraim, a giant, giant mountain over there that took up a huge portion of the promised land. And basically it was named after Ephraim. And they took most of it for their own possession. Now, uh, let's just say some things about this. You know, Joshua is basically saying, if you're such a great people, go get it. Go get your land. If you think you'd deserve two or double portion, why don't you go get it? What we find here is we have a people. And this is what I want to talk about tonight. A certain people, what are they characterized by? They have a bad attitude. What do they have an attitude by? They have a perspective of life which is wrong. And according to Psalm 78 verse 8, it says they set not their hearts right. You know, you have to set your own heart right. You said it. God doesn't set it. You said it. You don't allow other people to set it. You have to set your heart right. You have to position and maintain and set it. It's found one of the amazing verses of the Bible, Psalm 78, 8. If you don't, you're going to find yourself possibly becoming an Ephraimite. Now here's what we got. Ephraim represents egotistical Christians. Too much ego. It's all about them. You know, it's, it's about what they want. It's about what they want to have 
I'm not necessarily saying they want to have their way, but they have too much ego in their church life and in their church work, and there's no room. You know, they want to be preferred above the others. Ephraim represents those who are entitled. These are entitled Christians. I remember when my forefathers got the double blessing. We deserve it. We're entitled. Look at my lineage. Look where I came from. Look at my family. This is, they expected privilege. They expected special consideration because they're Ephraimites. Dangerous for Christians to be this way. Ephraim represents those that are presumptive who choose to force their way to get their way on other people. Got to be careful with this. So these are Christians who want special attention. You know, they want not only special attention, they want special favor. They want special position. Why didn't God call me to do the delivering? And then when He called you, why didn't you invite me to come? You know, it's all about me. An Ephraimite is, a, is an all about me type of person. Even when they shade it that I'm in it for God and others. Or I'm in it in the... In the I'm trying, basically, I'm trying to find my way of, of power within the local church, within God's people. Very, very dangerous. They think they deserve it, and they want it their way. So they can't stand to not be involved. I have to be involved in everything that goes on. Hey, how come I didn't get picked? How come I didn't get called? How come I wasn't the chosen one? Yeah, and there's no... Sovereignty of God involved. There's no leadership of God involved. And it bothers them to not be in the spotlight, basically. You know, there's certain people. I don't believe there's any here. <laughs> but they want the spotlight. They want to be shined upon. They don't want people to forget. Hey, I'm an Ephraimite. Lest you forget, let me just remind you over and over. They want to be seen. They want to be known. <clears throat> they want to be heard. They want to be loved. Sadly, they want to be preferred instead of preferring others. They honestly feel, though, that they deserve it. More attention and more favor than other people. They strive to get what the Bible calls vain glory. Vain glory. It's really wrong. And uh, what they'll do is they'll posture themselves with it. We're such a small church. But if it was a larger church, you'd see it. They posture themselves to get noticed, and they want to be noticed regularly. Doesn't that fall under, like, true narcissism right there? I, and I find this, uh, what I find is, you know, people do it in the world all the time. You see it in the, in, the, in the workplace. You see it everywhere. You see it in schools. You see it everywhere. You see it in families. You see it everywhere. But when you see it in the church, it's very it's interesting. Those that are into competition and comparison. That's why Gideon knew, hey, I can fix this. I can flatter them by saying, you got the two kings. You did better than we did. I don't know why you're griping. You're actually the ones that got the greater victory. He's having to flatter them. It's all about competition with these type of people. Accolades are all that matters. You know, they're not team players. They're not team players. They're individual, and they want accolades. Number three, they're difficult to appease. You know, He appeased them the first time. Gideon did. 
Second time, there was no appeasement. When they threaten to burn your house down with fire and they say we're bringing the army to do it, they mean business. I mean, there was no stopping them. They had to go to fighting. And they fought them off. You know, I was thinking about this. We ought to, there's a lot of babies in, in Christianity. And I'm just going to say it. There's a lot of babies in churches that have been in there a long time, many, many years, and they're babies. And they never grow up. And I always wondered, we got... There's people that are 35 years in Christianity and they're still babies. Terrible disease of egotism, I'm telling you. You know, ego is a, it's not even a biblical word. Pride. Pride. We're full of pride. Now, Luke 12, 48. And I want to say something else. Notice this. The Ephraimites had everything. They had more men. They had the best land. Joshua was their leader, and yet they still had this problem. They still had this problem. And I always go back to, well, if you were so great, how come God didn't call you to go do it? You had to go find somebody down there in Manasseh. You had to go over in Gilead and find somebody over there hiding from his brothers because they ran. he was an outcast, kicked out. So Luke 12, 48 says that when much is given to a man, much is required. So people who want to be an Ephraimite and they want special privilege and they want special consideration and they want power and position and they want to force their way. What does that mean? More is expected of them. More accountability for being this and much more is required. God said it. Much is required. We're going to look at a few verses here together and we'll be done. Now, Ephraim got judged harshly by the Lord. Read Hosea. Strong, harsh judgment. Meeting out of judgment uh, because they were specially blessed and did not do it right. They had the blessing, but they became entitled. So, let's look at some verses. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's uh, look at ourselves and see how we're doing on this in this area of life. Like I said, uh, adjustment for me. Adjustment time. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Let's read it. It says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. Oh, yeah. Those who are commending their own selves. This is 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. That's why God says don't ever compare yourselves to your Christian brethren. Whether they're really good, you think they're quality, or if they're really so rough, bad shape and lacking. No, you compare yourself to the Lord. You compare yourself to the Lord. Turn to Romans chapter 12. What does it say? There's no room for competition in the church. And in Christianity. And in Israel. There's supposed to be a unified nation of 12 tribes. Romans 12 verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor. Doing what? Preferring one another. Y'all see that? Preferring one another. Giving 
preference. Not wanting special preference, giving special preference. Philippians chapter 2. Hey, this will keep you away. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 3. And you know these verses. Just, let's just look at them, read them, and we'll be done. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. You know, anytime there's strife, it's because of pride flared up. Every time. Okay? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. If the Ephraimites hadn't done this, 43,000 men wouldn't have died. That's, that's hard to believe. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians. Chapter 5. Verse 26. Let us not be desirous of vainglory. Here's your Ephraimite. Provoking one another. Envying one another. It always comes with jealousy. Always does. And one last verse, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called with all holiness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How, why do you keep unity? Because you're, everybody's doing number two. Everybody's following and listening to verse number two and trying their best to live that. And what are they doing? They're keeping themselves down and they're putting everybody else up. What's our human nature? Do the opposite. If, we, if, you, if you keep the humility, meekness. You know, meekness is just seeing it like it is. knowing what, Just admitting what I am. That's what meekness is. I'm not any better than you. And really, you're not any better than me. You, should, you ought to see yourself that way. So if everyone's lowliness in me, and we are preferring one another, what's going to happen is you're going to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And Ephraimite is not me. They don't even know what the Word is. They don't understand it. And it's very difficult to change them. So, if you humble yourselves, and realize what you really are is I'm a Manasseh. That's what I am. And I wouldn't want it any other way. I would not want it any other way. I'm unworthy. Hey, but yet I'm chosen for some reason. Makes it that much more special. So, in lowliness in mind, let's be faithful and meek. Especially toward the breath. Now, it's how you uh, posture yourself in life, I think, you know. Uh, let's, let's just pray. We'll, we'll, we'll pray to be finished. It's how you posture yourself. I learned this a long time ago. If I'm trying my very best to help people get saved and to help all of you become the best Christian you can be, God's going to take care of me and my growth. He's going to do it. He's going to help me. Because I understand. I'm, your growth and preference of growth is more important than mine. That you grow in grace and that you get mature in Christ is much more important than my growth in grace and, and maturity in Christ. And by doing that, I will grow in grace and be mature in Christ and grow up. And we know these things to be true. Let's just remember this. Uh, <clears throat> did you
fall prey to Ephraimitis a little bit. Good thing is there's a cure. It's called humility and admitting what you are. And being thankful for all that the Lord has done. And how good He's been to you. And all of, you know, sure we'd like to do more, be more, have more. But let's be grateful for what we have done, have, and what we are. And the Lord will give you much, much more than this. And I thank you all for the, the unity. You know, the people of the church see it. And that's very, very special when people from without are saying it to me. And, say, and I hear it regularly. It's a wonderful spirit. We will keep that in our hearts and do our very best to, to remain a Manassehite. Amen. Father, help us to remember these things, humbling ourselves before you, not before men, humbling ourselves in lowliness of mind and in meekness. And in that humility, help us to rejoice when another rejoices, when they grow in grace, when they have a great thing happen in their benefit and for the kingdom. If someone wins another to Christ or helps another in the church or in the kingdom, help us to rejoice with them. Help us to say we'll help in any way we can. Help us to do like Jephthah. We see a need, we, we go do it. We live by faith. We put our life in our hands and we step out. If we invite other people to help if need be. But we are a team. Please help us to remain unified, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And above all things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. We'll have charity towards one another and towards this world. And we ask this in Jesus' name.